0: Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stephen. I'm Joey.
1: And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling.
2: The nurse introduces herself with a curt hello while I'm unpacking. I see her again an hour later when she comes to peek through my slightly open door. She does this every hour on the hour, until it starts to get dark outside when she comes to speak with me. The psychiatrist won't be able to come and see you tonight. She's stuck with something. I try to sound nonchalant. Okay. This is the program you're supposed to go over. She hands me a small binder and she leaves, only to come back five minutes later to look through the crack in the door. I start to plod through the sentences in the binder. The schedule looks to be mostly group exercises, with a nurse practitioner, as far as I can tell. On the second page of the program, the headings are how to get back into the world, how to transition into a job, how to dress appropriately, how to be social. Here's the thing. I know how to do all of this. I have done all of this. I am just no longer convinced any of this is worth doing anymore. A question keeps coming back to me as I read through the binder. Is this an illness or a point of view? That question is new to me. For a decade or more since high school, I've been unquestioningly following the psychiatric model to find some kind of solace with my growing unease about my path in life. I prefer unease to the words anxiety or depression, or at least that's how I think about it. A model that eventually came to resemble a chemical arms race, when the effects of one medication needed to be Mitigated by another medication, which then required a change to another medication and a higher dose, and so on and so on, until finally, a few weeks from the day where the nurse checks my door every hour, my psychiatrist said, I can't let you leave my office. Either you can sign yourself involuntarily, or I will have to sign some papers and it could become very unpleasant. My father's voice was saying something on the speakerphone, and my mother was leaning in beside me, telling me, we talked about this and this was the right thing to do. I was doing my best to break down how this was unnecessary. I was always very good at arguing. I will not argue with you, the psychiatrist said as he wiped his hands across the desk. That stopped me. (laughs) No longer focused on talking, I could feel tears on my face, but inside I didn't really feel anything, which had been true for a while. I had felt ever since the antidepressants had been added to the lithium and the antipsychotics and the anticonvulsant with off-brand anxiolytic effects, That all my emotional presentations were a form of acting that I wasn't really in full control of. I was me and not me, or to be more precise, present, but not responsible. Observing only. I would observe the presentations of feelings from a distance and think, that seems pretty crazy, or that doesn't seem like the right response to that at all. But I would have no motivation to change my behavior, or even the feeling I could. You'll have a patient advocate It goes to an outside board overseen by a lawyer, I heard someone say. I stood up and stared at the picture in the office. I couldn't make heads or tails of it, other than that it was yellow and white. The psychiatrist seemed to read something in my standing. All right, then. Good. I have another appointment at four, so we have to have this cleared up by then. And if I leave, I heard someone say, then I'll have to get security. The police will get involved. This will get ugly. What's it going to be? The door was opened faster than my thought about opening the door. Someone tried to grab my hand as I heard the doctor's chair snap, and then I was out into the air, running as fast as I could. I ditched my hat and a jacket, ran across three lanes of traffic where I assumed a relaxed walking posture. (laughs) My mind was blank. Everything was on some kind of autopilot. High school girls giggled as I walked past them. My face must have been bad, because when I looked at them, they dropped their eyes and went silent. Something hit my head. Acorns were following everywhere for some reason. I covered my ears. It started to rain, and I hid beneath an awning near a Chinese grocery store. I stood and watched the rain and the people picking the fruit piled beside me until my thoughts began to turn again, a grinding, burning feeling. Could I steal a peach? I realized I couldn't steal if I wanted to. It just wasn't in my suburban life training. I didn't even haggle. <laughs> even a dollar to kill some time and have a coffee. Just to think. And a question hit me like a ringing bell. Who was I without a wallet? And who was I without a phone? I went back to the hospital. I found my mother arguing with two massive police officers. Okay, one was saying, let me just get this straight. We get a call that this guy's gonna kill himself, and you say we now just let him go? Yep, my mother said, as the, hugging the doctor as he nodded, as she tried to take the brunt of the policeman's indignation as he grabbed his looming partner and left. Then the psychiatrist, old and much smaller than me, did a little turn, almost like an officer, about to bow. We have an appointment on Thursday, he said. I will understand if you feel you can't make it. I didn't make the appointment. But I eventually signed myself in on his recommendation. It felt like I would have more control, signing myself in. I try to speak with the nurse the next time she looks through the door. I tell her, I don't think I'm sick. I just think the medications make me seem sick. It's more like my imagination was damaged in high school or university, and I don't have the tools to think of how I could make a part of the world that would work for me. That's making me depressed or anxious, but that's not something you medicate, is it? I don't know, the nurse said. The psychiatrist will tell you more. She'll be here tomorrow. I start to panic. I think of all the people I know who plow through this life with whatever drug, or person, or plan, no matter what. And how they are doing fine compared to this. They have jobs, relationships, and freedom. They don't keep asking everybody around them if they think correctly. They make up their own minds. Maybe even things do blow up, even if they aren't happy. At least they're there for it, living their life, not observing it from a massive chemical distance. They aren't running around thinking about how sick they are anyway. I feel a deep loss suddenly, loss of years, possibilities, possible relationships, possible jobs, making my own life, and for the first time in a long time, I make a conscious decision, right or wrong. I've decided to leave, I tell the nurse. I'm just gonna go, this isn't really for me. <laughs> she stiffens up and looks me up and down. Let me get the doctor on the floor. So there is a doctor? Oh well, it doesn't matter anymore. I've actually made a decision for myself for the first time on what feels like forever. She walks me back to my room and calls another nurse. Uh, Please keep an eye on him, she says, and runs off. Suddenly, free to think, I start looking around my room. There are bars on the windows I hadn't noticed before, but the bathroom is what troubles me. There's only one surface. It's a molded bathroom. Nothing to tie anything on, nowhere you can cut yourself, nothing you can remove. I realize I've signed myself into a problem and I realize just how much the medications have taken my awareness away. I could have used some anxiety just now. (laughs) The doctor comes into my room. I can feel I'm worked up, upset, and it feels kind of good. It doesn't feel like the detachment of before. I'm not watching myself be upset. I'm watching the doctor upset. (laughs) But I know that's not what it's going to look like to him. It will look like a breakdown. Take a breath. The next 20 sentences are going to be really important, so collect yourself and just don't seem upset. What do you want, the doctor asks. I'd like to leave. I just don't think this is the appropriate facility for me. (laughs) I can see the wheels turning. Oh, he's heard this before. I decide I have to say something he hasn't heard that isn't gonna sound defensive. I've decided to make him dislike me. Well, the fact is, like, I signed myself in here, and I think my psychiatrist pulled some strings. I think he did it because he's worried about me, but the reality is, I'm not going to be cooperative with the group sessions. I just don't believe in this. So look, you can keep me here, I'm not going to cause any trouble, I'm just not going to participate. And I feel like, given that I haven't been forced to be here, participation is really key for everyone's success in the community in this particular environment. I look quickly over at the nurse. Her posture suggests judgment through a certain kind of checked out quality. Arms crossed, I was not really focused. I checked over your program, I say, seizing on the momentum and speaking to him like a buddy. Also like a bit like I'm lecturing him, like we're on the same joke, but I know he already agrees with me. People hate this tone from me.
3: <laughs>
2: you guys have some really basic stuff here and I can do all this stuff. And the people here aren't really my kind of people, you know.
3: <laughs>
2: I think one-on-one one would be better. Maybe I'll go private. I got a little bit of money. The doctor raises his eyebrows at the nurse, who's only half looking at either of us, and he sighs. Did he sign himself in initially? Yes. All right, that's fine. You know what? Whatever. <laughs> he shrugs and walks away. The nurse looks surprised. I'm, I'm just going to pack, I say. As I walk out, the three nurses at the door check their watches. How long has he been here? (laughs) Seven hours, maybe? That's a record. They're still laughing as the outside doors close behind me.
0: Welcome to the Stories You Don't Tell podcast. I'm Stefan. Paul is also here.
1: Uh, yes, I am also here
0: and so is Joey. Hello. So we are now I would say at, uh, three quarters pint is my, uh, my general belief. Uh, how, do you, how do the two of you feel about that?
3: I would say I'm still at half.
0: All right, fine. I am particularly at <laughs> three quarters pint. The other two are not. Uh, they really threw me under the bus there. Uh, but we just heard a great story from John. And we're going to talk about it now.
1: So John has been on the podcast before, but also he's basically told a story every month for the last year at our event. One thing that John's done is he he's done like a series of stories, right? Uh, he'll take a big, large story. He'll kind of break it up and he'll tell it over a, a, a few months in a, in a few smaller bite-sized pieces. But what I really appreciated is, is that he um, did this series. This is a part of one of his series, and I really liked about the way he wrote about um, just mental health and like uh, I think it's really important to share these kind of stories and I just think the way he approaches it with you know uh, sensitivity and vulnerability and um, he really kind of I think opened himself up here
0: and I think that what's maybe as important uh, about the way he talks about it is it's real. Right? There's a we live in a society right now with you know with all of these hashtags uh, that seem to focus on the idea of like just talking about mental health is the same as doing anything about it and and basically it's like, it seems as a way for everyone to just sort of go on about how you know they, it it doesn't it doesn't actually engender any attempts for real conversation, it feels like. The the corporatization of mental health does not has not moved in my mind the conversation forward at all. Maybe it's like you know it's not like people are saying, you know, hashtag Bell Let's Talk and then actually telling you the kind of story that you get from John in this piece. It is it, it is much, much more real. It is much you, you live it with him in a way that is I think difficult to share. And and that to me is what makes it so valuable. Is that it's this is a real person trying to navigate a a very difficult situation, and it's and it's not that sort of watered down you know watered inversion you can get when it's just for social media attention or or a share or a like or you know so four cents goes somewhere.
3: You do get to share it with him, but at the same time, it's clear he's not currently in it, Mm -hmm. and so you your takeaway or not even your takeaway you can you can be in the experience with him but he's not he's not uh reimagining it as if he's there
0: yeah he's not forcing you to feel the discomfort right or or like are you like you you you're with him but yeah you're not you're not you're not being fe- you're not like experiencing it he is in control of his own voice
3: yes i think the other thing though that i want to make clear though is that it's because it's it's important to talk about and it's good to have real stories but it's also important to you know in the vein of storytelling as a form of communication and entertainment uh you don't want to send people into danger zones so that's the other point that i'm trying to say is like he's uh he's able to talk about it in um a way that keeps him safe
1: well, and the the thing that we've talked about uh, before, just uh, in store approaching storytelling uh, in general with these kind of stories, is is that the the number one thing is the person is up there in front of you telling that story. So you like you're saying, they're um, you know they're not in that same place necessarily, but they're. They're able to communicate this and you can kind of, it. It, it but at the same time, it allows um, somebody like John to kind of go to certain places or go to a place and, and we're not afraid for him in any kind of way or re, you know, re-experiencing anything, you know, yourself. So
3: it's also not exploitative because right. it's like, that's the key. I think a key thing that I'm, I'm feeling like whenever, whenever I see him share a story, it ends up not feeling like I shouldn't be participating in fact it's very much he's very much in control of what what is going on and he's sharing it because he's able to and because he wants to
0: yeah, and I think to to harp on one of our favorite topics, mm. uh, I, I I think part of the value and the ability to be able to do that and have that control comes from the the workshopping and the and the writing down and the working through the actual story. Right, you're you are able to create and hold your own history, your own narrative, and then allow yourself to then share it in a way that that is true to you and that you, you aren't going to get lost, you know, like the, the, to try to tell a version of this story, uh, without having done that work would be dangerous for, you know, you, you could easily find yourself trying to, you know, falling into so many different storytelling traps and your own traps for your own, you know, your own sort of circling. But the, the, the amount of work that, that you know he put in to 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 craft this narrative and to own this story in the way that he, that that he does allows the audience and everyone else listening to it to experience it in the in the way that is best really
3: i'm nodding a lot because that's a, that's exactly it like it's done safely and and well but mostly because of the workshopping i think it's there's um like I think I think it's come up before where people have wondered um like how how people get up in front of a room full of people and talk about something that might be so challenging as this topic um because it's not just a topic it's not just it's not creative writing this is somebody describing actual personal life experiences and um and that's exactly at the value of of not I le- I use this word very loosely but but the value of desensitizing so um But Not to the point where you you don't feel things, but to the point where if it's important to you to share a story and it's challenging, it's really worthwhile to workshop it so that you can get to a point where you can say words out loud that have an effective emotional feeling for you, but that you're um, not struck by in such a way that you can't, say, keep telling the story.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, just... Kind of thinking about or listening to to um the two of you is that there I think it's a so important mental health is we still don't really in this i uh, this this is my opinion and it does not necessarily reflect the opinion of the other people that are here sitting here <laughs> with me um but we don't know how to fucking talk about this shit hmm. and it's such a personalized experience a lot of time in my opinion that you know every you know a lot of people ex- experience this. Um, kind of thing in many different ways, and I just think the more that we can talk about it, and the more that we can share these kind of stories, that um, you know, it's not easy, but is is that then actually uh, it's because it's hard. Everyone's experience is different, and like what you were saying, Stefan, about oh yeah, we can have these like online campaigns or whatever. And people can say, oh, are you feeling bad? Well, just reach out, call somebody. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes people can't even do that. They can't even leave their house. So it's just so condescending to do that kind of thing. But at the same time, with this kind of story and this kind of stuff, we are able to have a dialogue about this now. And we're able to talk about this because... You know, he shared his specific story, but there might be people out there that'll be like, yeah, that's, I know exactly what you're talking
3: about. Great. So then, but there's, there's, there's tremendous value in that because it's, you know, bringing people together and talking about things that are complicated and and challenging actually just demystifies the, the loneliness that we all feel in these weird moments that, you know, when we're feeling certain ways, don't expect that other people can possibly understand. And so the The beauty in this is exactly that it lets other people in, but it also, for those people that are experiencing certain similar things, don't have to feel like they um, are alone.
0: What maybe makes this particular, not um, particular story, but more so particular concept, is that as Paul mentioned, I think you know one's experience of their own mental health is inherently subjective right there's you are, you are stuck in in basically a hundred percent subjectivity right like it's, your experience is just what your brain is telling you and, and almost what makes it hard to talk about I think ex- externally is like you know everyone can be like look my arm is bleeding uh, and everyone's like oh no your arm is bleeding uh, but that doesn't exist in this kind of context and what I find I think particularly important about the connection between storytelling and mental health is that storytelling, also is literally just your subjectivity you know like in a workshop we were at we, we were running two weeks ago the the thing that i found myself saying to the saying was what matters is your subjective experience of this. That is the story. And that is always the story, right? The story can never be anything more like it's only bad storytelling to start putting words in other people's mouths, right? It's only ever bad storytelling to try to explain to other people what other people were thinking to you. Like if you're doing personal narrative, you cannot be the omnipresent listener, who knows everything because you aren't that person. And and so to me, the the version of storytelling that we experience and the version of storytelling that, that, that this sort of personal narrative storytelling is, is actually very analogous to the experience of, you know, it is literally just explaining my own subjective experience and that's what matters. And I think telling someone who's going through mental health stuff that what they think matters is, is a radical act.
3: For sure it is. I also, it's, it's also, something to be said that even though it's a subjective experience of a particular person, that doesn't mean that someone else won't feel something similar by going through, but, but they're going through something completely different. It's, it's just the radical act of sharing that still helps people feel comfortable in whatever they're experiencing because, because it's demystifying it and because it's, it's sharing something out loud in public that we normally don't talk about. Thanks again, John, for, for sharing his story. And if you want to hear more of his stories and
0: read more of his stories, you can go to johnaronsandler.com uh, and find all of the stories that he, I believe he shared with us and uh, and more uh, links to some smaller stories and micro stories that he's done on Instagram and things like that. Uh, so check it out, uh, johnaronsandler.com. That's Aaron with two A's. And uh, we'll see you all real soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast.
1: Visit tell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events.
0: And for more stories, check out our book available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Polarity. Polarity, when you're one with Paul. Uh, <laughs> 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 nope. <laughs> Maybe you should include that part. (laughs)